What's up, Derek? Not much, Mike. How are you doing, man? Fucking great, dude. It's Friday. I'm stoked. Although we always talk on Fridays, but it's yet another Friday, and that's always good. And that's what makes it even more special. It's like, hey, right? Talking to talking to Mike. Yeah, I sound happy all the time because if you caught me on a Wednesday, I'd just be this sad sack of fucking negativity. But today, feeling awesome. Isn't it funny how that works? You know, you wake up and then you're like, what day is today? And of course, Monday is the worst. Sunday night is kind of shit too. Yeah. But you wake up on Monday and you're like, oh God. Yeah. Yeah. And as the week progresses Friday, you're like, oh yes, it's Friday. Dude, and then you even talk to a bunch of the other corporate drones, you know, throughout the week and you're just like, hey, how you doing, Steve? It's Mike. And they're like, uh, it's Wednesday, man. We're halfway there. Those cliche <laughs> business responses. Oh, I know. Uh, I know. Yeah, it, it it bothers me, although I totally do it. Uh, but when I hear other people do it, I'm just kind of like, you conformist, lame That's true, but don't you think that um, there's something about conversation that eases the tension? And even if it's stupid, idiotic, and it is idi- idiotic in this case, idiotic small talk, it still does something with the energy, yeah, well, it, it makes the conversation on a more personal, friendly uh, level, as if you just keep it all business, then you tend to think of the other person as like, uh, oh, they're super cold, and, and uh, um, it makes the conversation less personal. Yeah. So it's almost this weird obligation to waste time and breath on nonsense, but it's not really a waste because it makes the conversation more uh personal and connected and and more effective ultimately but and puts you at ease puts both people at ease because yeah. you're kind of like you're kind of exploring the topics that you can cover and you start with the weather the weather and then you like gives you start move yeah of but course i totally do it yeah. too yeah you know I, it it comes to mind because i've seen people like that post things like oh well I hate small talk. I don't like to do small talk. Small talk is like not in my agenda. And, and I want to say, well, then comfort is also not in your agenda either because uh-huh. small talk is a way to make a comfortable place with you and other people. Well, it's very self congratulatory to, to proclaim, I don't engage in this, uh, completely natural human behavior that everyone else engages in for a very good reason. I recognize it as a complete waste of time. So I'm above small talk. Yeah, it's a very constricted, closed-minded type of thing. So when you know, when you kind of see somebody like that, you're like, oh, man. that That's what makes me feel like that particular statement. It's kind of on the spectrum of autism, I would say. Ooh. Um, what is the word for that? There's Asperger's. It's, that's kind of, I okay. think Asperger's is like the, the um, one of the places, one of the spots of that spectrum yeah. of autism. Huh. And yeah, I think it's kind of an autistic trait more One so. One of these like anything. asocial kind of or just social awkwardness or social unawareness kind of things. Yeah, very compartmentalized, very huh. socially doesn't see like what's around them. Small talk is a just, weird thing though cuz like we we totally are obviously recognizing it for what it is. It's it's a complete waste of time and it's a bunch of talk focused around communicating nothing and expecting to receive no useful information at all. 
but it's it, it's entirely necessary, uh, like we said, to get the conversation to a good, comfortable level. But yeah. it is this frustrating dance that we all have to do, and we recognize we're doing it, but we still do it. And is there a better way? Probably not. But it is it is a complete waste of time to ask, how are you doing? Hey, how are the wife and kids? What are you doing this weekend? All that kind of shit. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess with certain people like you, I'm genuinely interested in what you're doing this weekend, and I do care <laughs> about how your wife and kids are. But uh-huh. 99% of the people I talk to, I mean, I want to care about them and their family and their weekend, but I don't think I do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, same here. I'm totally with you. And, you know, it. it what it brings to mind is there's a, a Buddhist uh, chant, and in it it says, I'm going to kind of botch it. Let's see, light. It's about light, darkness, and also sound. Mm. And it says, sound distinguishes comfort and discomfort. So... I think what it's saying is, is like through sound, you can hear comfort or you can hear discomfort. And that's kind of like one of the, the biggest ways that you can hear it. Huh. And another thing that I heard recently, which really opened my eyes to a new possibility for the world is the relationship of sound and matter. Huh. And I think it, you know, I, I was listening to, some video and and I can't support what it is that I'm going to say or like verify that everything is true in this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. All right. Supposedly Tesla had said something to the effect of sound actually has created the universe. Huh. And it went back to uh, somebody was like talking in Tesla's voice, I think, and was kind of narrating this. And he said, sound created the universe. And then um, what they showed was, have you seen those frequency experiments where they put like grains of rice or sand on a vibrating uh, metal plate? Uh, And they change the frequency and it shows a different uh, geometric pattern. Wow. No, uh, I believe it though. Oh, it's an amazing experiment. Look look that up because you could see like every frequency has a different shape to it. Like literally this pan vibrates and it creates a completely unique shape than the other, than any other shape. And you got to keep in mind, we're looking at it at a two, only 2d. So what would it really look like if it was 3d? Wow. But along those lines, so they showed that experiment and then they said sound created the universe. And then he went back to something that the Aboriginal people said, and I, I like another quote in this because, and the Aboriginals are the people that were from um, uh, Australia originally. It's like the Native Americans of Australia, right? Like pygmies and, they call and stuff, them, right? What'd you say, pig, like pygmies? Pygmies, right? Or is that? It um, could be. I, it, that could be. I, I thought that was New Guinea above okay. that. Well, I don't want to derail your thought there, but yeah, yeah. So Australian Aboriginals. Yeah. And, uh, one thing that the commentator put in there, which I thought was clever, it's like, they're not aboriginal. They are original people there because <laughs> they've been there longer than anybody. But in their Bible, their version of the Bible, they have something about how the world was created. And they said three trumpets or something along the, not trumpets. I'm sure they didn't have trumpets back then, but three something that created sound okay. created the entire world. Huh. And I just thought it was interesting to to hear that 
and then see that experiment, how sound actually is creating matter and, um, well, not creating matter, but definitely forming the, the formations. So that's uh, an interesting thought, sound. dude. So, so relating this to what brought it up, the small talk thing. So you feel like it's more the sounds you're making and the, uh, unspoken body language and, and things that you're communicating like way beyond the, the lame, ridiculous, pointless words that you're saying during small talk. It's all the other things that are being communicated that actually are the effective part of small talk and the reason that it is so ubiquitous. Thank you. All right. Yes. I like it. That is it. It's the dance. All right. It's, it's the dance. It's not, it's not the words you're saying. It's the dance of doing it that makes it meaningful. That's right. All right. Yeah. Sound and sounds distinguish. That's what it was. Sounds distinguish comfort and discomfort. Which makes sense because if you meet someone in a foreign country and you don't speak each other's language, you can still have small talk. Obviously, you have no idea what he said about the weather, but you can still create that same uh, result of small talk, which is some mutual respect, a little bit of friendliness. Hey, we're cool. Uh, good to meet you. Have a good day. You can do all that without speaking the language. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what there, there's some quote too that says like X percentage of communication is visual mm -hmm. or, or not even, uh, um, like body yeah, language is communicating body, more yeah, than the words you say. I mean, I have to imagine yeah. it's 10 times more information is being communicated through tone and body language than the words you're actually saying. Absolutely. Yep. Definitely. Maybe a billion times. I'm no mathematician, but one billion dollars yeah no that's it's an interesting thought uh because yeah it makes small talk feel less mundane a little less it still feels mundane but it gives it a deeper meaning that that uh helps it suck less i guess is is what i'm thinking yeah uh, definitely you know i i've actually gotten not gotten to the point i used to despise small talk this uh -huh. is so I'll tell you from where I came from. I despised it. I thought the same thing. Oh, I'm not going to talk. I'm forget it. And I was very narrow minded. I didn't want to like look outside that at all. All right. And then now I'm kind of like I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I mean, I don't love small talk. I don't love to talk. I don't love to go even see people. I'm I'm uh, definitely an introvert. But I I enjoy the the dance. Uh, right. small talk you know and and the and establishing that comfort and establishing creating a base okay i i do enjoy that because i think for a lot of years i didn't have that and i i, I didn't understand a lot about huh. the world i guess and people so i'm sure you know a lot more about the weather now than you used to the weather yeah, well, that's what people talk about during small talk. So everyone you talk oh, to, you yeah. ask them about the weather, and you're just like, "Oh, hey, did you know that it's uh, it's uh, cloudy in Texas today?" No, no, Derek, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, it is. See, maybe I need to work on my listening skills in small <laughs> talk because I, I probably don't even listen, dude. That, that's that's actually a really funny point because that is so friggin' true. When you talk to yeah. people and you're doing this dance and you're talking about nonsense and and you're communicating all these things, um. None of it is being retained in the information sense. Like you're retaining all sorts of the of the useful data like we just talked about, like, uh, you know, the comfort building uh, stuff that people are communicating beyond the words they're saying and all that. But the actual words they're saying, like, hey, it was cloudy today or, oh, it's really getting hot out here or uh, all the nonsense or, that we say. I don't think any of that's being retained or very little of it for sure. Or my name is John. 
<laughs> you know, I'm like, Oh man, dude, that- <laughs> how many times do you like talk to somebody for 30 minutes and you're like, uh, I have no idea what this guy's name is. Oh my God, dude. You know, what's weird too, is I'm actually good at remembering names, but I have to, I have to try to remember it because I meet so many people where you do that quick dance of like, Hey, what's going on? I'm Bill. Oh, Hey, I'm Mike. Good to meet you. Oh, what are you doing here? This and that. How's the weather? Whatever fucking nonsense part of the dance we're doing. And I just totally forgot his name and he just said it 30 seconds ago. And sometimes I get stuck on that and I'm just like, what was his fucking name? And I'm still standing there talking to him about the weather or whatever. And I'm just, all I can think about is, God, he just said it. What's his name? Ah, uh, you know, one trick that I've been doing is, well, not been doing, I just did it. Because my neighbor, I saw him again, and I was talking to him, and I didn't remember his name. Oh, so that's I the worst when it's a neighbor, and you're like, I've met the guy eleven <laughs> times, and I don't, I don't remember his name. And we're all super friendly. We're oh, yeah. like, hey, hey, yeah. hey, I love you, I love you too. Oh, hey, what, what was your name? It, it doesn't. <laughs> and work you're beyond well. the point of it being okay to ask. It's like, dude, we just had yeah. beers last weekend, and uh, I borrowed your lawnmower, and, and like, we've got a relationship here. And then you're like, hey, what's your name? Like, that would just be a relationship ruiner. You can't ask him that. And it's not, it's not important enough for me to like look up on the internet his address or whatever and like do some kind of deep search. I don't really care that much. Yeah. 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 You know, but at the same time, yeah. So I, I brought it up to him and I said, you know, I can't remember what your name was. And he was like, Jeff. So I was like, okay, Jeff. So, and I told him, I said, okay, I know one Jeff and he's a Japanese friend of mine. And then maybe I'll, and then I was speaking this to him as uh-huh. I was telling him this. I said, maybe I'll use that to remember your name. And he's just I've like, never uh, forgot the name now. He's like, yeah, dude. Uh, or you could just remember my name. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you're so like, forgettable. I have to summon my memory of my other friend, Japanese <laughs> Jeff, to try and remember your name. It's like, yeah. When I look at you, great. as a matter of fact, I'm going to look at my Japanese friend, Jeff. Because <laughs> he's memorable. Jeff, the Japanese yes. guy, is memorable. But you, I'm going to have to think of Jeff, the Japanese friend. Yeah. Oh, man. But, you know, he does look like a Jeff, though. And, and <laughs> when he I, says, I my name's Jeff, you're just like, of course you are. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All is right in the world. You are Jeff. You know what's weird, too, is uh, sometimes I'll remember completely abstract names that I don't want to remember. They've got no useful function in my memory, and I will lock onto those names to remember them for my entire life. And other names, like my neighbor Jeff, like you said, I'll totally have a really hard time remembering the guy's name. And even once I make the effort to remember it, I may forget it again. And it bothers me where I'm just like, dude, you see this guy regularly while you're like taking out your trash and stuff. Like, remember his name. Or my wife and I will get into a conversation about it and I'll just be like, God, what was that guy's name? And I'll have to sit and think on it forever because I can't let it go. And I'm just like, what the fuck is that guy's name? And then eventually I'll remember it or whatever. But like, why are some people's names so hard to remember and other ridiculous pointless people i may or may not have even met before totally stick in my mind and they're readily available all the time it's weird how our memory works yeah yeah it really is and then um the other thing is like why i i think sometimes people make a bigger impact on you and sometimes uh 
I think it's just an yeah, associated thought. Like, even if I'll remember the name of someone who I've never even met or they made no impact, there's there's no reason to remember this guy's name. I should just clear the space for something useful. But uh, I think it's association. Um, is if you associate someone with something like you did with with neighbor Jeff and Japanese Jeff, um, once you've made that association, your brain has more dots to connect, and I think it's stickier. Um, yeah. So I've even I've even learned that in in memory. What am I doing? Do I take like a memory class or people who do memory uh, coaching or uh, huh? I can't remember where I did memory coaching. That's funny. Um, but one of the things they would that, be proud. Yeah. They, they must have made an impact on you. <laughs> they were super effective. It was totally worth the money. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that I do remember is the association piece where they were like, OK, he would. Oh, that's right. We did it at a radio station I used to work at. And he got together a whole conference room full of people and he was giving a class or a, a seminar. Actually, what he was doing was selling his services. So he came in and did a whole sales pitch where he was kind of displaying his amazing memory capabilities. And then if you were interested, you could sign up with him and then he would sell you some sort of an expanded class. I never did the expanded class, as you can probably guess. But yeah. in his sales pitch thing where he demonstrated his amazing memory, he went around the room and there was probably 30 of us in this room. And he asked everybody their name. And uh, at the end of the class, he went around the table and he remembered everyone's name and it was impressive. And then he explained the way he did it is everyone's name was associated with something. So it's like, all, oh, Stephanie is wearing a red shirt or whatever he chose, whatever popped into his mind as each person went around the table and introduced themselves. He associated them with something. And in the original sweep of everyone's names, he talked to everyone for a couple of seconds, ask him a question or whatever, like kind of dig in for something to associate w with them. Right. And uh, and it worked. And it was pretty subtle. I mean, you couldn't totally tell what he was doing, but you knew he was just trying to remember everyone's name. And at the end of it, after an hour long or however long the the the, the, the class or the, the session or the speech was, he went around and remembered everyone's name. It boiled down to that. The the little bit of information that he associated with each with each person. And that part stuck with me where it was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm in sales or I'm in customer relations. And sometimes I meet a big group of people and, and, you know, it's impressive to remember everyone's name. And I do try to make an effort at that when I know it matters. But when I just run into someone at a bar or at a party or just kind of someone where you just casually like, oh, hey, this is Frank. Oh, hey, what's up, Frank? And this and that little small talk here and there or whatever. And I'll walk away and I totally don't remember Frank's name. Uh, so I have to consciously try to associate their name with something or it'll just fly in one ear and out the other. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to do that. And then you gotta, re, you gotta remember to remember to do that, you know, and if yeah, you don't remember to do that and yeah, it's an active it, choice to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But it works. Yeah, it does work. Yeah. That, that association thing. I think I was in a Dale Carnegie class one time and they started out that way and I forgot what it was, if it was like a big riddle or, or if it was like all the, uh, the 50 states or something mm -hmm. said in a particular order or whatever, but they did something similar to that. And I can't remember exactly how the presentation went. I would botch it, but yeah, it was, it was impressive though, how much you can remember by using your imagination to kind of tie things together yeah. and then follow that, you know, visual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool the way memory works. And the way you can manipulate that mechanism to work to your benefit. But then it's so fucking frustrating to uh, just let someone's name slip in and out of your memory. And then you're just like, God damn it, the guy just said his name. What the fuck? Why couldn't I remember it? Uh, that, that, that gets kind of frustrating. But 
you know, I think what, like what you did, the best way to go about it is just to tell the person like, oh, you know, be a little uh, self-deprecating or whatever. And just like, you know, I'm so embarrassed to even tell you this. I'm so stupid. You've told me your name several times and I'm just not retaining it. Uh, uh, you know, help me out here. I feel super dumb. And people are generally pretty understanding, even though I'm still embarrassed. You're that way. I mean, the truth is its own defense. I think you you kind of follow that path too, right? Oh yeah, I yeah. Mean, you and I, we we don't mince words that often, you know. I mean, so, ever some sometimes. I mean, not with each other, but I mean, we we give it to each other straight, pretty much. I yeah. think. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it's just a better way to go. You know, it's just the better way to be. Just to keep it like that, and uh, yeah, just honesty is the best policy. I, I know honesty I, is the best policy. I was trying to think of a way to say exactly that without sounding <laughs> so so cliche. It's kind of like, yeah, it really is. It's it's the least work, and and sometimes it is. It, yeah. it, it's like ah, yeah, it may not be the uh, the smoothest path. Maybe it'll cause a little friction or or result in more conversation than you feel like having about it or whatever but it's it's just the better way to go it's a safer way to go and uh lying is a lot of work um you got to remember all those lies and stuff yeah yeah you got to keep all this shit straight and then later on someone's just like oh hey but didn't you say that you did this and you're just like oh fuck maybe i did but uh you know so all that just sounds like such a chore where if you're just always honest then then you're, you're you're covered everything's always just you know is what it is and and uh you never have that uh situation let me hear a big whopper that you've told in the past oh man do you have any whoppers a big whopper. I I don't. I can't. A big whopper. I don't have an example of a big lie that I told. Oh gosh, I'm sure. If I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'm sure there's something. I think most lies have happened in the moment where I was maybe defensive about something. Like, uh, I you know my first reaction is, oh no, I don't want them to know I did or said this. And my first reaction is to say I did or said something differently. Um, just to yeah. get myself out of a hole real quick, like a, a reflexive kind of a lie. And then, and then immediately I always feel like, oh man, that's going to be work. I'm going to have to remember that. Why did I even lie? It's not that important. Like I could have just, I could have just taken a second or yeah, I wish I would have said the truth or whatever. You know what I mean? And I can't think of yeah. a time where it's ever been significant, but, uh, every time it happens, which isn't that often, I'm usually pretty good about just reflexively being honest i want to say like work related is the only time that sort of thing pops up uh where you kind of just want to bend the truth to make your work life easier or make it look like you're doing a better job or whatever and i don't i don't want that to be the truth i want to be like oh i'm 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 always truthful but i think the truth is that i'm not uh and i think for the most part when it happens it's work related yeah that's a good point and you know, that's the best case. I, I can totally understand doing a little lie here or there at work just, just to avoid like a either a massive meeting that you're like, well, I can correct this myself. I don't need anybody's intervention. But if I tell somebody what actually happened, they're going to everything's going to blow up and then, you know, it's yeah. going to make a big hurrah. Yeah, I can manage so. the situation with a little, little white lie. And I think like like you mentioned, the, the, the underlying uh, motivation behind any little white lie is effort avoidance. Um, to where I'm just kind of yeah. like, oh, if I communicate this true fact, it's going to result in a lot of extra effort 
and the same result can be accomplished by bending the truth a little and then I avoid effort. Okay, my brain does that math really quickly. That's funny because that effort avoidance and that brings up something that I remember hearing a psychologist talk about somewhat recently. And I think what they were saying is that we're continuously nonstop at every breath that we take looking to avoid pain and to go towards comfort as much as we can. Uh-huh. Or like we gravitate and, towards the easy path. Yeah. To, yeah. to the, the best way. I mean, and, and actually the, I remember a little bit more, the way that it was worded was regarding dopamine. Oh. So we're trying to get positive dopamine hits and avoid negative dopamine hits. Oh, I didn't know because there was more than one type. I just thought dopamine was dope. Yeah. That's the natural dope that's in your head, I think, that gets released when you smoke dope. Okay. Or, or something like that. At least those are can. Well, what I'm talking about, smoking dope is a cannabinoid receptor. We have cannabinoid receptors in our brain. You know, we're built with cannabinoid receptors. Okay. So somewhere down the line, there was, there's been plenty of smoking weed going on for, with the human race. I'm, uh, we've evolved. I'm pretty sure to, uh, just contain it. So when you smoke it, it just releases like existing, uh, dopamine in your brain. I don't know. Well, the I I don't know exactly how it works, but the cannabinoid receptors, oh, they, okay. since they receive the cannabinoid, um, I guess they know how to convert it to dopamine. I don't know. I'm talking huh. out of my ass right now. Right. But back to the point, it was interesting because you know we it hardly look at our lives that way. That you know I'm constantly chasing the uh, the positive dopamine, and I'm constantly avoiding the things that I think are going to provide me a negative dopamine hit. Right. And it's this constant pattern of avoidance that we have that is really avoidance and seeking that is really kind of the biggest problem. Hmm. I don't know if it's a problem. I mean, we're, we're probably, maybe we're constructed that way, you know, maybe we don't yeah. have, but I think there's well, some probably habit like in there a, too. That's probably like a, an evolved um, uh, survival mechanism. Because if you're programmed to avoid uh, problems, then sure, now that might be like avoiding a business meeting that you just don't feel like doing. Uh, but back in the early human days, that meant that might have meant like avoiding being eaten by a saber toothed tiger or something. And and those two situations, one is conceptual. The first one that you're saying is like in our brain, we're, we're running through a scenario, right? Right. Or we're like, oh, well, I'm going to have a meeting with this person. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you're really just imagining shit. Yeah. But that second one that you said, avoiding being eaten, you, you're walking through, I don't know, a field or something, and you're kind of in tune with what's around you. And then all of us, yeah. So I, um, probably is, uh, I'm trying to make one to be like in the moment and the other one not so in the moment. But okay. um, yeah, one is natural is what I'm saying. And one one can be because since we're so smart, I think we can go on a, a, a tangent and really try to avoid things that we think are going to affect us negatively. Yeah, yeah. And and that is obviously a bad path to go into. So I don't know that, what led me down this whole thing, but so anything that uh, oh, I'm sure it was avoidance. We were probably trying to avoid yeah. something. 
<laughs> no, but it is interesting how we kind of do that math so quickly. And we can imagine scenarios that that may be good or maybe bad, like in a in in the in a lightning flash, and even faster than that, uh, where our brain can imagine a situation, determine if we do or do not want to uh, create that situation or the likelihood of that situation coming to fruition, and then we can instantly modify our behavior to create the outcome that we desire. And we can do that in a blink of an eye. Like, it's it's incredible how much we can process that much data. And and I think that's what's going on there with something like bending the truth reflexively um, is you're trying to create the situation that you want, that you subconsciously want, um, but then your self comes into play afterwards and, and you may think logically like, well, why did I tell that lie? That that wasn't even necessary. It doesn't change anything. It's just this stupid uh, non-truth that I have to keep track of or whatever or think of in case I ever have to recall it later to avoid being found out as as a liar, you know, that sort of thing. Like, it just feels like such a chore that I have an avoidance uh, tendency of that, that that feels like effort. So my, I almost have that, that same avoidance behavior uh, trying to avoid the need to lie because it feels like a chore. You know what makes your avoidance behavior, the one that you're describing, more evolved than some of them is that you can see that you're doing it. Mm. You know, there, there's, we all know people that I think that will lie and they, sometimes I don't even know if they know that they're lying. That is you a weird, somebody like that. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, uh, it's a big turnoff when you, yeah, and you have to know tough. someone fairly well to be able to recognize that it's, it's pretty rare that you're going to meet someone and, and get to know that side of them so quickly. And if you do, yeah. you're not invested in the relationship anyway. So you're just like, oh, oh, that person's a lying, shitty person. I don't want to know them. But usually once you've realized someone is that sort of a just a flagrant liar or a, a, um, what are they, a serial liar. There's a word for it. Um, so, uh, psycho, psycho, psycho something, something like uh, Yeah, habitual liar. What am I trying to say? I feel stupid here. Uh, anyway. Yeah, it's like it's at the tip of my tongue too. Yeah. People, I'm sure whoever's listening, listening is just like, you fucking yeah. idiots, it's this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a pathological liar. There we go. Yeah, That's what I'm is. trying to to find um but normally once you've figured out someone is that you've known them long enough to develop some sort of a relationship and it's a big it's a big disappointment where you're just like all oh that person's the type of person who just lies all the time and now i don't like them as much or at all and what a bummer because you can't come to a common understanding no no like it, you're you're gonna get to that point where you call them on a liar and uh, so yeah. they, something happens and you you say this happened and they say that didn't happen yeah. and you're like uh oh okay yeah. this is where we're at here I can't proceed <laughs> uh, yeah yeah no it's it's a total just like uh it, it's it's like a broken railroad track where you're just like okay we're cruising down this relationship thing everything's cool and oh no the track is broken. Yeah. Like, um, the, the, I guess the I'll train just get off fell here. off the tracks. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, that it was, was it. It was fun, Steve, but, uh, yeah. you're a liar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like yeah. I'm that way more as I get older than when I was younger. Like maybe that's just like, I just feel like I have less time to waste. Uh, or maybe it's a dad thing. I've got less time to devote to any of my friends 
So as soon as I find out, like, oh, you're worth less of my time, which of of which there is so little that now that virtually means no time. So uh, I'm getting off the train. Absolutely. I mean, to get over that hump, you know, it's going to require a considerable amount of energy and duress on on both of you because yeah. you're going to have to point out, hey, you're lying. No, I'm not lying. OK, let me explain it to you, because even though you should have learned this when you were 12, but now you're 38 and now I'm going to, I'm going to act like your dad and try to teach it to you, I guess. And but, I ain't got no time for that shit in my life, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I guess there again, maybe that's another effort avoidance uh, behavior where I'm just like, Oh, this relationship's going to be a chore. Yeah. I got to go. I was a big liar. Were you? In the past. Huh. I was. Do you remember any like huge ones you told like on purpose, not some reflexive yes. thing? All right. Yes. Care to share? Yes. I was 11 and I said I was 12. Whoa. Uh, and it's been really fun being your friend, Eric, but <laughs> I'm getting off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The train just crashed. Yeah. The train crashed down. Yeah. No, you know what? I mean, the thing, it sounds like innocuous, but I was the same age as my best friend's younger sister. Mm. And that... I just couldn't bring myself to tell my best friend that I was the same age as his younger sister. Oh. So I just felt like he was going to look down on me, I guess, to not be my friend. And then the, the big, the big honcho of the lie, what that I told was that I knew karate. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> I told everybody that's I knew karate. That's a tough karate. one because you may have to prove that at some point. Yeah. I, 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 I took a karate class one time. It was a, a free class in the military and okay. on a military base at a DYA, a district youth association. And we would go there and like all the kids in the, on the base, like heard about it was actually Taekwondo. All the kids heard about this Taekwondo class. So like I would go there and it was just funny because it's just a big gym full of kids. Just, Oh yeah. 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 Um, There's no structure little, or anything. A little, a little more structure. I mean, you get into groups and be like, all right, now kick the person um, underneath their armpit, you know, or right. lift your foot up there. So then we had, and I told everybody in there, I knew karate, right? I was like karate master. <laughs> <laughs> I probably, you know, I probably weighed 60 pounds. Yeah. I was like a really small kid back then. And you're like, my hands and, are registered weapons. Yeah. And so it was the very first showdown and the Taekwondo instructor was like, I'm going to call on some of you to come up and fight me. <laughs> and so he pick, he picks me first. And, and like, I'm like, shit. I'm like, shit. So I go up there and I'm like, I don't know what I was doing. But what I do remember was like, since everybody thought that I knew karate, I remember this one kid. He was bigger than I was. And probably the reason I said it because I was a smaller kid and these were bigger kids. So I wanted them to think that I knew how to fight. Right. But as I was walking up to the instructor, this this bigger kid that thought I knew karate was like, oh, man, he's going to fuck him up. Like, Derek's going <laughs> to kick gonna his ass. Good. So, like, yeah, this is going to be good. And, and his eyes his eyes got big and he was like, yeah. You know, and I was like, I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm about to see an expert display of martial arts. <laughs> what happened? Oh, dude, I don't know. I... I, I knew how to look like I knew everything. You know, I knew From how like to look. From like Bruce Lee films, you know how to stand. You know, you're like, this is what a karate master would stand like. So is this enough? 
Yeah, I could put on a little bit of a show. Sure. You know, I would do like the roundhouse or whatever, do a little bit of roundhouse and um, just get a little little bit of the fancy stuff where he yeah. could probably just sweep my leg and break my neck if he wanted to, but yeah. it looked fancy. I, I know how to do, like I worked into learning how to do like a front flip. Oh. You know, I guess, I guess ninjas do front flips, right? So if you know a front flip, you obviously know karate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just, that's just, you know, logical. And that's what I told my sixth grade. Then, then I went to sixth grade and I was still carrying this lie on and <laughs> This one's drawn but, out. Oh man! Is, yeah. Well, eleven was fifth grade. Okay. So All right. then sixth grade we moved to uh, from Germany to Maryland. Okay. And so in Maryland, I, I made new friends there, and I told them, "Oh, I know karate. I know karate." And then um, my sixth grade gym class teacher, we were going to put on a talent show, and. He was like, anybody know how to do anything? Whatever you know how to do, let me know. So I'm like, I can do flips. And he was like, he was like, where did you learn that from? And I said, karate. And <laughs> He's like, really? They never taught that in any karate class I'm aware of, but okay. No, what, what was even funnier? He just started laughing. Like he, he couldn't yeah. help but to laugh, but he like <laughs> laughed right in front of me. He was like, ah, fucking karate, shut up. <laughs> That's awesome. It was funny, but oh, that was a man. good talent show. I did a windmill. I was a break dancer. I was a pretty damn good break dancer. I could do a windmill. I remember was... that. I remember it used to bust out, dude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's funny. That's funny. That's like a, that's a pretty normal. And, and okay, I'm going to, I'm going to speculate on your mindset as a young kid who moved a lot, you probably felt the need to make friends quickly and impress people quickly. Cause you kind of had to like establish friends pretty fast moving from place to place. Um, Bingo. do you think it was kind of one of those, uh, not, a, not like a defense mechanism, but almost like, a uh, a necessary, um, survival tool that you had to break out or figure out um or test out as you're moving absolutely place place, trying to fit in absolutely it's not like i was a bad kid like i was a good kid i've i've always been a, a relatively good person like with a soft heart and good intentions mm -hmm. like that was just yeah i think you're right it was just kind of a, like a survival mechanism to where yeah i'm like well if i like my best friend I didn't, I told the lie because I didn't want to lose him as a best friend mm -hmm. that I was 12 and I was really 11. But ironically, when he found out that I was 11, I lost him as a best friend. And that, that actually, I mean, that taught me the lesson, right? That was one of the first teachings of the lesson. The second one was when my friends went up to my parents and asked him if I knew karate. Uh -oh. When I when I was in Maryland. Oh, what what do you why yeah. why do you think they asked that? Were they suspicious or was it just a casual question or were they just kind of like, huh? Derek's front flips don't have perfect form. <laughs> we should ask his parents. Yeah, I'm sure it was something like that. I mean, at a certain point, when you hear somebody lie over and over and over, and just defending the lie, and you kind of have an inkling that that lie is not true, you just you want to know what that truth is. So how so, mad at, you, at your parents were you when you found out that they just threw you under the bus and they were like, no, Derek doesn't know karate. What are you talking about? That's nonsense. You're like, come on, mom. You couldn't just, you couldn't just say like, oh yeah, he's deadly. You couldn't, you couldn't just throw me a bone here and, and, uh, maintain the fiction. 
Well, so I think they didn't say that I didn't know karate. So I think they read the situation a little bit because it was, it was my two friends. And, and we, we were friends after that still too, but it was a damaged relationship. Yeah, it was, uh, their names were Chris and Joe. That's right. right. And they went to my parents and the way I found out about it, I was walking behind them from school. So maybe, maybe something came up to where they were like, okay, we're not going to walk to or from school with him anymore. And, uh, uh oh. Uh oh. Elusia? Oh no. I think I lost Derek. Hmm. I wonder what happened there. It froze. Oh no. Oh my golly. Oh, you're back. Oh my golly. Oh my gosh. I almost fell asleep. <laughs> oh Man. yeah. No, that, you know, it's these dams. Uh, what are they called? The surface. You have one. Yeah. It has that stupid magnetic charging plug. So yeah, there, I have the dock too All and right. the magnetic charging plug, but yeah, so it'll, you ever get where it, it won't tell you, you don't, it'll be plugged in and it thinks it's not plugged in. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it's just like, thing you know, you have no battery. And, yeah. and it gives yeah, you very little like, no warning. Way. It's like, Hey, I'm going to die. And I'm dead. Like, Oh, that's exactly what it did. Okay. It said low battery. Boom. Yeah. Gone. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, how fucking fast am I supposed to be here? Serious, man. man. Well, great a little preparing. Heads up. Way to be uh way to be super prepared. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well done. Yeah. Super pro. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I usually don't man. have to look that up, but I got scared, dude. You just said like all, oh no, and you kind of went forward to the screen, and then your your camera just froze, and I was like, what could have happened? Like, did someone just like kick in his door with a shotgun, or was hey, there wait. an earthquake? Or we should happened? have an alternate ending here. We should. So this is this is one ending. The other ending is somebody busts in the door and and uh, gets me for a weed plant or something oh oh i got it. okay so we'll come back and just be like oh man derek what happened and say like yeah some guys tried to break in so i killed them all with the hatchet so anyway what were we talking about oh yeah we were talking about small talk <laughs> yeah we carried it far down from small we we're talking about lying after that lying oh we were in the lying yeah 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 and how how big of a liar i was when i was 12 or 11 we kind of took a lying when I was we took a lot of detours on our conversation there yeah, I think it was good though. That was it was it was fun and interesting. Yeah. I love talking to you yeah. about that kind of stuff. You're one of the few no. people who I can really like dig into ideas and topics like that with without um, the other person like taking it in a weird, unrelated direction where you're just kind of like, okay, well, let's. Uh, Are let's, you talking about me, dude? Yeah, let's let's stop exploring uh, interesting ideas and just talk about the weather again. That's how most conversations yeah. go. Get a beer, man. You're talking too much. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, Mike. You're weird. Like, ah, fuck. I'm going to call Derek. <laughs> hey, you doing anything for Father's Day? It's coming up, right? Next weekend or the weekend after or something like that, I think. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I think it's uh, next weekend. Not doing anything. I think that usually for Father's Day, my hope is to not do anything at all. That's the most standard guy response ever. I think for Mother's Day, women are like, I want him to book all sorts of things and all of it should be a surprise and it should all be dazzling. And for guys, it's like, what do you want to do? Nothing. Don't bother me. I want to do nothing on Father's Day. And that never happens. Trouble. It's true because I got in trouble one time for that. It was like, 
Everybody else is going out for Father's Day. You're you're not doing. I'm like, this is what I want to do, isn't it? Father's Day. And, like, let me not do anything. And you know what those dads want to do for Father's Day? They want to do nothing too, and they're upset that they're being dragged out to do something. Yeah. You know what I want to do? It sounds lame, but but it's it's the it's the truth. Is I just want to enjoy my boys. Like, and for me, that means I want to watch them have fun. So like, uh when the wife asked me, what do you want to do for father's day? It's literally going to be like, let's go to the park. I just want to watch our boy play on, on the playground. Like that's what I want to do for father's day. Uh, maybe that's because I know doing nothing and being like not bothered and relaxing on the couch is just like not going to happen. That just never happens. Uh, so the next best thing for me would be just, I just want to watch my boy play. So I'll be like, Hey, let's take him to the beach or, or take him to your parents' house to go swim in the pool or, something i just want to watch him have fun that's what i want to do for father's day that makes you a great father i guess you're like the epitome of father's day yeah i guess no but that that's it's so true though how much you love seeing your kids happy it's it's a strange thing to realize that my greatest source of joy is watching them be joyful uh it's not like my idea of fun doesn't involve me having fun anymore. It, it's just like, ooh, we should have fun this weekend. Okay, what can we do that would be fun for the kids and I will watch them have fun? That, that's where my brain yeah. goes. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. It's a neat place to be, I think. I've done, I've done a long, long time of my own fun and my own thing and traveling and drinking and playing in a band and all the stuff that I have found fun. Like, I feel like I'm good on all that. Uh, now it's just like, I just want to watch my boy swim and laugh and that's fun for me. Well, having kids at, at the age that you are is awesome. I think because can you imagine being in your twenties and having kids? I was a shit show wreck. I would have been like, so bad at it. Yeah. You know, you can and, appreciate the kids now. Well, and, and I think a lot of people in their twenties have trouble being a good parent purely on economic reasons. Um, you know, Hey, I don't have my own established home or I live in a studio apartment or I still live with my parents or I'm not making much money and all these things that are totally understandable reasons to be a not great parent. Um, I wouldn't have had any of those. I made pretty good money in my twenties and, uh, I just would have been a terrible parent, uh, because I was a terrible person. So yeah, like, Oh no, no, I could afford to be a good dad, but I'm just super selfish and I'd rather buy Coke. So that's, that's what I'm going to do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That would have been a terrible parent. We had to get all that out of our system, though. Yeah. The whole, because I I can't imagine, there's no possibility of me being a role model back then. I mean, who knows? I do have fatherhood in me. Everybody's always told me I'd be a good father, even when I was younger. I I know you too. People have told me that, and I just always thought, like, well, you don't know me at all. Like, I I don't have fatherhood in me. I thought people were mistaken. And And I guess I did. I'm surprised anyone saw it. Well, and how you took care of your dogs, too, at first. You're like, Yeah, but in my 20s, I wasn't a dog person. That was much later when yeah, Sarah yeah. and I got dogs when we were 30, I guess, and we became like dog parents, as lame as that sounds, but that's the truth. Um, yeah, we treated those dogs like kids, man. You did change a lot. Yeah, now I think about it from, from the tw- – I mean, I did, too. We, we both did. You know what's frustrating, though, is now that I have kids, uh, you'll, 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 talk, you'll hear people that are dog parents – and they'll say things like, 
Um, you know, if I'm complaining or talking about the kid life and how tough it is or that sort of thing, people will try to relate with their dog stories. Like, oh, I totally understand how hard it is to go out anymore. We have dogs. And I just hear that going, you don't fucking know shit. You don't. Thank you. You, you, no, don't try to relate. Like, I, I appreciate that you think you do. Cause I used to be that guy and I used to think the same thing, but you're wrong. You have no idea. Uh, it's not even close. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, I ran into that in a mega type way because when we were at the Zen center back at the Zen center, none of them had kids, none of them. Oh. And I mean, some of them had kids that grew up, sure, but sure. none of them had kids. Yeah. And there were more of them that had never had kids than had had kids and they grew up. Mm-hmm. So when I stopped coming to retreats so often, it was like, well, how come you're not coming to retreats? Can't you get a babysitter? And I'm like, I have a fucking daughter to raise. Yeah. yeah. I want to be, I want to be with my daughter. Totally. I, I, my daughter needs me as a role model. I am a father. Yeah. My job is not to make sure that she stays alive and eats food. It's, it's to be there for her. It's not like, Oh, I can just outsource the, the, the function of being a parent and I can come to retreat and, and focus on myself and do things I enjoy. Like, no, no, you can't. Uh, yeah, that's, that's not how you do it. Um, and yeah, people who have never had kids don't understand that. And I stopped trying to explain it to them. You know, I mean, just kind of like, you know, you got, you've got those friends, like I've got friends like, like Ricky finger who I love, you know, Rick, uh, yeah. just a fucking great guy, man. I love him. He's one of my favorite friends, but he's, he's never awesome. had kids and he mm-hmm. just doesn't get it at all. And he's so sweet. He'll he'll call and just be like, do we need to get together, man? You need to just come over to my house and barbecue and we'll just hang out in the backyard and chill. And and uh, I'm always like, yeah, dude, that that sounds awesome. Uh, totally. We'll do that. You know, with it, it's there's no intention of that happening. It's not happening. Um, and then he'll say things that are super good intentioned. And, and he's so sweet. He'll be like, just just bring the family, bring the kids, dude. Everyone can play in the backyard and the whole thing. And I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. They're going to have a great time. In your backyard? Like, there's probably fucking boards with nails sticking out of them all over your backyard and bongs on the fucking patio table. And, like, <laughs> yeah, it's not happening, Rick. I really wish it, I could, you know, but it, it, it's not. So. Hey, let, let's shotgun a beer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like, oh, he doesn't drink. No. But no. a great guy. Don't, don't you want Rick to have kids? You know, I, I mean. Uh, you know what's funny? That That is an interesting thought, is for a long time, when I was not kid guy, and I was traveling, party, super fun, all the time guy, I was the annoying guy who was hitting up people with kids like, dude, you should come wine tasting with us this weekend, or let's go hit a brewery, or come to our show, and whatever, and people with kids are always like, yeah, no, dude, I have kids, and and uh, I, I was that annoying guy who just didn't get it, and uh, now that I'm on the other side of that, I find myself doing just what you just said. Like, I wish Ricky had kids. He'd be a great dad, and I want him to understand. But I remember people with kids used to tell me that when I was no kid guy. And they'd be you like, you should it. have kids. And I'd be like, you oh, no, it. I should You got so mad. You yeah. would get so mad. I, I said that to you before. You, yeah. I thought you were going to beat me up or something. Oh, man. Like, you know what's interesting, though, is there are certain friends or certain people that you have this deeper level of respect or admiration or, or look up to them in, in a greater way than most others. And you're definitely one of those friends for me. And when you yeah, say something here. like you should have kids, it's entirely different than when some other friend who is not at that level says it. Um, so when someone like you says that, it 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 
permeates my way of thinking much more. Um, and it makes me think like, huh, maybe I should. And, and, uh, it sure took me a long time to cross that bridge mentally where I just even thought I might be ready, um, was a huge leap for me. Cause for most of my life, dude, well into my thirties, my way of thinking was just like, I never want kids. I, I never want to stop doing whatever I feel like and traveling and having a great time. Like it's so much fun. Why would anyone want kids? Yeah, that sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, almost, almost to the level of thinking like, man, anyone who has kids, like I almost pity them. Like, Oh, that must suck. Yeah. My life is great. You know? And, yeah. uh, someone like you tells me you should have kids and you give me a little insight into the, the greater joy of what it actually means to have kids. And then eventually I started seeing that like, huh, maybe there's something there. And then my grandpa passed away. And how old was I when my grandpa passed? Probably 35 or 36. And something about that experience of losing my grandpa made me feel like I want to have kids now. And I told my wife even at that point, like, hey, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm ready or not, but I'm ready. Like, let's, uh, I, I think we should do it. And she's just like, fucking finally, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's so sweet. Like she never pushed me to have kids. I know that I dragged my feet way longer than she did. She wanted to be an established adult before she had kids, but not her fucking late thirties. That's all my fault. Uh, yeah. and, uh, something about my grandpa passing away made me realize like, yeah, it's, it's time I want this. And then, um, we started going down that path of, of, of working toward it. But, um, yeah, it trips me out, dude, to think about the change that that brings in your life. Like what, what a fucking understatement that is. Right. (laughs) It's the biggest change you can imagine. And then some, but I mean, in, in everything, your outlook on your own life, your outlook on other people, your outlook on your friendships, your outlook on your idea of what fun is. It's, it's everything. It's everything that you perceive life to be or that it could be in every possible way. It's an incredible experience. And I've said it a bunch of times that I'm so grateful that I did it and am doing it because I was so close to just skipping it. What a fucking... What a what a sad event that would have been if I just skipped really? such a gigantic momentous thing. The experience of life can't it just can't be complete unless you have children. Yeah. Like it's it's such a monumental experience on so many different levels. Yeah. Not just the experience of birth, but the experience of seeing your own child and then just it triggers so many innate things yeah it's incredible it's incredible i mean it's an incredible responsibility and it causes all sorts of fear and all these other like positives and negatives and all that and but i mean i guess that's the real uh point of life for lack of a better term that's what that's what we're here for and it's this culmination of everything you've learned or done or built toward or become that without having kids and, and, and going through that process, it's almost like life is pointless. And I guess maybe it's not the same for everybody, but it feels that way to me because I was totally that guy who just never wanted kids. And, and now that I've got them, yeah, yeah, you were, yeah. I was kind of surprised when you told me that you guys were going to have a, have a kid. And I thought, man, I mean, Derek was always like me, like just 
I don't want to do that. I want to do what I'm doing. And I live a perfectly full life and I'm very happy and, and, and uh, nothing is lacking here and I don't want to fuck this up. Uh, and I think you were kind of that same way. Uh, but man, once you became a dad, like you changed entirely, but all for the better, like you just became all for a, the a better, more complete, better person. You were always a great person, but you became more, you just became more. Yeah. No, it, it, it calls you to task. Yeah. It's like, Hey, are you going to, are you going to be the best you kind of, you know, are you, what are you going to show this child? You are the God, you know, not God, you're, you're the living, breathing, uh, idol for this child. Oh yeah. Here. Yeah. You're going to teach protector. them what it means to be a human on earth. I mean, that's, that's a big responsibility. Every time I think about her, there's just nothing more in the world that I love. There's just nothing yeah. more. And that doesn't even that doesn't even suffice as a description for the feeling. But but that's I guess the best way you can describe it is there, there's just nothing more important. Not myself, not anyone else, nothing. Uh, it's crazy. And, and only and, people with kids get that. And I get that now, yeah. now that I have a kid now, now that that I've joined that club. It's it's incredible once you cross that line into that reality where you're just kind of like, oh, I get it now. I understand what unconditional love means and um, what it feels like to value someone else's life above your own is an interesting, humbling feeling. I like one of the quotes that Joe Rogan had said before where he was talking about uh, he went in the, the, his daughter wanted a banana. So he goes in, uh, or he was actually in the kitchen already. I think he was like opening a banana. And then his daughter said, oh, can I have a banana? And he looked over at the other banana, and it was like a little bit older and, and more rotten. So, of course, he he gave that banana to his child. And he's like, shit, I wouldn't even do that for my wife. I wouldn't even, I would have given her the older banana. And it's like, yeah, here's the older banana. But for the child, you take that banana out of your mouth, and you're like, here, take that and it's just, it, I don't know, that always uh, echoes through my mind that how he says that, how that's, you would just. That's an interesting analogy for, for the feeling, because that's totally how it is. I don't think there's anyone else in the world that I would give the better banana to. <laughs> I mean, anyone else, it's like, that yeah. one's good enough. I would still eat the lesser banana if that's the only one that was there. That banana's fine. Like, here, here you go. Here's your banana. I've already started eating the good one. It has more taste to it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, bananas get better with age. Yeah, like I would, I would even justify it like that. It's funny that you say that because I had a really similar thing also with a banana where our nanny uh, makes our son's breakfast every day and I hover over her and watch her make, her, make his breakfast because I'm annoying. And right before I go to work, I play with him while I'm watching her make his breakfast and then um, I put him in the high chair. She starts feeding him. I slip off to work while he's having breakfast with the nanny. That's our morning routine. And part of his breakfast includes half a banana sliced up. And she, like many people, go for the older banana first because that one's going to be the one that is going to be bad soon. Like you got to eat them before they go bad. It's the least wasteful way of thinking and all that kind of stuff. And one day she was uh, grabbing not an old brown banana, but it was older and browning. It was it was, you know, it was on the downward slope of the hill. And she grabbed that one for him, and I just told her, no, no, no. Pick <laughs> My the- child does not have a damn brown banana. I told her, I buy a lot of bananas. 
And I want you to pick the best banana every morning <laughs> out of literally, I think we had like 14 bananas sitting on the counter because I buy a stupid amount of bananas every week. And I try to buy them in like, okay, this bunch is good today. And there's another bunch that will be good in three days. And then I buy the super green bunch that'll be good by the end of the week that will overlap my next batch of 18 bananas. Like I put this much thought into my <laughs> banana purchasing. It's important. And I literally told her that exact thing. I was like, no, no, uh, I'll eat that one later. Um, give him, give him the best banana that we have. Like, don't worry about wasting, uh, we'll make pudding or fucking whatever, but just pick the best banana every morning and he gets that one. And she's like, okay. And she's been great about it every morning. She'll, she'll look at the bunches and just pick whatever, whether it's a, a new batch or, or a new bunch, you know, or whatever, like we don't have to complete a bunch before moving on to the next bunch. Like look at the entire bunch as one bunch and, uh, choose the best. And that's the one he gets every morning. And, He's uh, going to be like 35 and his wife is going to come home and she's going to bring some little bit off bananas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Damn it, woman, I told you I don't eat any scorned bananas. I only eat the best banana. I only eat the best. <laughs> I'm creating that monster. Oh, God, I hope not. Um, maybe I am. But, yeah, that's it's interesting that Joe Rogan had that same thing because it is, it is that total feeling where you're just like, I would, I would eat a rotten banana so that you can have a good banana any day of the week without thinking about it. That's funny. Absolutely. No, it, it, com it, it completes life. And, you know, it's funny to bring it up the Zen center earlier because they don't like having kids is frowned upon. And I mean, you can imagine, right? I mean, it's not a mystery being a Zen monk priest, you know, you're not really, do, do they expect to you kids. to be celibate or do they just kind of, what's what's their feeling on marriage sex and all that kind of stuff in in the in the the zen uh organized religion you know that's a good question and it's even a little bit difficult to answer because like generally you, know, you frowned have different upon? um marriage is frowned upon all right um there's not much talk about sex or celibacy or anything like that it's more kind of like uh, one of the precepts is that you won't do misdeed or inappropriate sexual actions. Is it just because that's self-indulgent and you should be beyond that? Um, or is it like kind of like Catholic looking down on sex because it makes Jesus cry and that kind of thing? No, I think it's, you know, there, there were Zen masters that actually, uh, some of their enlightenment stories like uh, involve sex with a prostitute huh. even. All right. So it's not, it's not like score. It's not like, Oh, you can never have sex or, or I don't think it's like that. It's not, once you get too much into the dogma, then you really start losing some of the true aspects of the teaching. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the good thing that I will say about Zen and the sect of Zen, which is Soto, Soto Zen and that I was in is that it's not so it's not extremely dogmatic. So it's not like, you know, you absolutely can't do that. You absolutely, you know, you, cause like eating meat is another thing that's typically extremely frowned upon. But then you look back at like the Buddha and it's widely known or widely agreed upon that the Buddha most likely died from spoiled pork that he ate. Huh. So it's not, you know, so, but then you got the Tibetan Buddhists that are like, 
you don't eat meat at all. And then I, I told a Korean friend of mine that I was Buddhist and I ate meat and he was like, are you sure you're Buddhist? And it was kind of like, you know, so you got varying degrees of, I gotcha. Like anything of, of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get that in any, uh, religious, uh, belief system. And I, and I, for some reason, I don't think of Buddhism as a religion, but I guess just for simplicity of description, we'll call it a religion. But there's like all those different varying degrees of of um, strictness or structure. Uh, and that probably even like varies based on geography, right? I mean, any kind of a religion is that spread all over the world is going to have different ways of doing it in different parts of the world. Um, and then different intensities or, or levels of of uh, of of doing it like all the different variations of Christianity or Catholicism or whatever, you know, like within Christianity, there's all these different subsects that, uh, you know, just have little tiny variations of, of their interpretation of the Bible or this or that, or, uh, you know, uh, um, all, all that is just kind of inherent in, in the structure of what religions are, that it makes sense that, that that is also in Buddhism. But at the core of it, it's all still about, enlightenment and the basic tenets or practice of it yeah right? exactly so, so then all the, these weird little extra fringe requirements or expectations are just kind of um sporadic i imagine right yeah yeah that's what i was thinking like when you were talk, mentioning the other religions and everything i'm like well yeah at the core of it what's at the core of it that's really what's important and mm-hmm. of course people the people aspect of it because you always have the people uh, mucking up the waters and making things more political and, and yeah. making it dogmatic and all this other and rules and bullshit that you have to jump through. Mm-hmm. And that's just what people add to it. But the true part of the religion, yeah, it's like waking up to your life is, mm. and you know, yeah, the, the path of enlightenment. All right. Definitely. So by like engaging in the contractual agreement of marriage is, is kind of breaking away from that. Uh, uh, like pureness of existence, I guess. You know, I guess so. It, it well, marriage is suppose. I, I suppose the way they look on it is the more that if you have kids, you're not going to be able to sit all day oh. and and meditate all day, and and that's true, you know. But then, where does the exclusivity of my kids being part of my life? Uh, it's all inclusive. It's not my life encompasses everything. It doesn't encompass just, uh, it doesn't start just when I go and sit on that meditation cushion. Yeah. My life encompasses my entire life. So it's not that. And the people around me and the nature around me and all that. Right. So is that really kind of the underlying goal of, of perfection, I guess, in the religion, the, the, uh, achievement of virtually sitting all the time. And, and being in a state of meditation as much as possible. Bingo. That's it right there. Man. That's what it is to me. That's what it is to me because I had, that's where I started having issues uh, with some of the things that were said with that and, and kind of the expectation to sit all the time. And if you're not sitting all the time, then you're not a good boy or girl hmm. or whatever. Where you almost and, have to like justify any time spent away from that. Like, oh, my family's going on vacation. Like, oh, oh, so you won't be that's sitting. Right. You're like, that's right. I'm, th- this is, yeah, yeah. You like where you almost feel like you have to, uh, uh, 
be defensive about doing anything other than that to those people because they're kind of just like, oh, so you're not going to be sitting all weekend? You're like, oh, no, like, I, I you know, uh, the family's going on this thing and we have to go. You almost have to make it like, uh, oh, I'd love to be meditating all weekend, but we got to go to Hawaii, you know, and and all that. Yeah, you felt guilty for saying, like, taking your family to a trip to, like, uh, uh, Palm Springs. Like, I would be like, oh, yeah. I got to let me defend this trip to Palm Springs instead of, like, being at the center, you know, and it's like – it started to miss the point for me. Well, that, that kind of happened was, yeah. when I got married and it happened to fall during a time where you were in the middle of a big retreat, right? You were traveling to go yes. retreat for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out like, oh, hey, we're going to get married and it's on this date. And it turned out it was right in the middle of that retreat. And you were kind of faced with that, like, well, what do I do? You know, do I miss a good friend's wedding or do I cut out in the middle of this extended retreat? Uh, that retreat was specially put up for me. Oh, <laughs> so, so yeah. that, that's the one thing I, I, I probably didn't convey it well enough. Okay. That retreat was my Shuso Hosen retreat. Okay. Which, which is every, every summer there's an Ongo period and the Ongo period has a Shuso Hosen or a Shuso. And that Shuso is the person who the retreat is made to like, push up or help. And and that person is kind of like the symbol of that retreat. So you use that to get more time with the teacher and you have more dialogue with the teacher during that time. And then you're not expected, but like you want to use this time. You want to use every second of this time. And I don't mean every, I really do mean every second. Like Mm -hmm. it was six weeks that I was sitting and I could tell you for that six weeks, I was, I had a single minded attention. Wow. Single minded attention. I, I changed a lot from that retreat. So yeah. it was one of the single most important things that I've done in my life, I think. Wow. But, um, yeah, it, it, and it's not easy to explain. And, and there were people that actually did try to contact me during that retreat. And there, um, Megan was, uh, holding guard for me and was like, no, I, you know, I can't put you in touch with him. Wow. So I, cause you literally don't want to have any distractions during that. It does make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, um, it, that was tough for me though. I, I really wanted to go to your wedding, obviously. Sure. But, but ha- had, had I known, had we both planned better, it could have been possible. Sure. But at the time that I knew you were getting married, that is already done deal. Yeah, 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 totally. No, it was a bummer, but an understandable bummer. I mean, it is what it is. Not like a wedding is, I don't know, to me, honestly, that important. Uh, Obviously, it's important, but I think for some people it would have been like, I'm just, I'm I'm so upset by this or whatever. Like, I don't know. I'm pretty. uh, It was important to me. I I do wish I could have been there. I can't really articulate it the way I want, but I'm weird in the sense where a lot of things in life that a lot of people would think are important are less important to me. And then there's a lot of other things that may or may not be as important to other people that are, that I hold very, uh, that I put a lot of importance in. Um, that's a vague thing to say, I think, but the wedding is one where I was really bummed you weren't there, but it wasn't like, I was going to carry that along with me as like a big thing to be angry about, you know, like it was just kind of like, well, this sucks. And, uh, 
you know, it, it, it came and went and, uh, that was just it. No, I, I'm, I'm glad I, I felt so horrible for that because I, I couldn't explain it properly. And I think this, this is actually probably the first time I'm actually properly explaining it to you All right. because it, it was difficult to explain that. Sure. And, and it's not understood outside of, you know, that literally that, uh, that sitting that six weeks was kind of the culmination of probably I would say a 15 year practice, 15 years of practice. Wow. Culminated to that single six week period where I, I didn't leave the, the Zendo. I didn't, I didn't barely talked during the entire time. And all I did was focus on my meditation. Wow. And it was, it, uh, it changed me in a big way. That's I mean, pretty cool. I, yeah. And it was tough for me to understand or even explain to other people because they're like, dude, where's Derek? You know, I'm like, oh, he's meditating. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you're the only one in our entire sphere of people that we know, or, or at least my entire sphere of people I know that does anything even remotely similar to practicing Zen Buddhism. And uh, for most people, it's just kind of like, a, uh, oh, you're a Buddhist monk? Oh, cool, man. Like <laughs> no one has any idea or maybe even much interest in what that means or what it is. Right. And, uh, oh yeah. I, so, I remember being at the Zen center and somebody called up. It was like, I, I pictured it on the other end of the phone. It was like somebody who's just about to get kicked out of their house or something. Some poor teenager. I felt bad for him. Yeah. But he was like, Hey, like I want to become a monk. <laughs> and, um, can I just come over there and become a monk? And I was like, I, I'm sorry, it was just not set up that way. You can't like just show up and become a monk. Like you, you can, you can come here and check out it, check it out on a Saturday. But yeah, people are they they get into the whole what being a monk is and well, not so much of. I, I think it has uh, maybe movies or something have created this common uh, belief of monkitude that it's something that you can run away and become a monk. Like, I'm just going to leave my life behind and go live in a monastery. And I'm just going to fuck it all. Uh, I'm a failure or my family hates me or my wife left me. And I'm just going to go become a monk. I think it's a refuge or an escape in people's mind. So I think that's maybe what happened there is this kid's just like, my life is fucked. I could go join the army or I could just go become a monk. And <laughs> and he just looked you guys up in a phone book or maybe, I don't know what, what year this was, but it looked you guys up found a phone number was like hey there's a monk thing like right down the street and uh and uh that's that's kind of funny actually to to explore that that line of there's thinking. worse things that you could do though i mean trying sure. to become a monk you know joining the army would probably be a little bit rougher of a time i, I would imagine but, yeah i'd rather uh you know shave my head in garden than go get shot at yeah um that's 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 my uh that's that's what i picture actually dude Near my house, there is a, what I think is a Zen center. It's, it's a big property and the people who live there wear robes. They've got their heads shaved and it's a beautiful property where it's all really well landscaped and I see them out there gardening all the time. So that's kind of where my, that's, that's the basis of that statement. So when I think of going to become a monk, I think of living in a really beautiful house and maintaining the grounds. You're not far off, my friend. Really? <laughs> yeah, I there's some people that have that life. That's what they do. And, um, you know, it, it's pretty, you, you have 
there's a schedule that a lot of monks follow and it's like a, a very routine schedule. You get up like at 5 a.m., you start sitting at 6, you do work starting at 9 from 9 to 11, 9 to 10.30 and then you sit at 11, 11 to 2 and then okay. you eat. Yeah, so there's like a regimented schedule and it's a beautiful way to live life if you can do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's completely free of decision-making or any of that, so it leaves you completely free just to kind of um, expand your mind and do all the things that uh, uh, I would imagine is the goal. I can't help but think, who's in charge of the schedule? Or, or, or not so much the schedule, like the breakup of time, but okay, there's a certain amount of hours dedicated to work, like say work in the garden or work, in, work on the grounds, maintaining the facility. Who gets to assign the roles? And is there some political posturing for the better assignments? Like, who gets assigned, oh, you get to go and, and clean out the rain gutters, and Sally gets to go and uh, pick the roses for the vase on the kitchen table? Uh, you know, who gets the better roles yeah. or assignments? And is there some kind of sniping or jealousy Absolutely. around all that? Yes, there has to be the short answer. There's always political posturing. Yeah, I don't care what it is. I don't care what if people are involved, there's politics involved. So one guy's always assigned to the fucking mowing and some other guy always gets the easier, cleaner, less sweaty task. Is he just like fucking mowing again? Or is he just always the mowing guy once and forever? Or are they different jobs every week? You know, it, it depends on who's running the SAMU, which is the work period that's uh, called that. Okay. I mean, but he's the labor you're, boss. You're, you're always going to find some level of just sniping and whatever. And right. that, that's just always going to be there. And it's, it, that's part of, uh, breaking free of, you have to, there's no escape from that. So you part know, of there, like not having, uh, any animosity by being assigned a shitty job versus a cake job, you're supposed yeah. to just kind of take mm -hmm. it as, as what it is and, and do it. Walk into each moment with a clean slate is kind of the, do you feel like goal. they assign tasks based on like, man, Derek's been up in his head a little bit lately. He doesn't seem to be, um, you know, living in a completely, uh, unclouded mindset. So we're going to give him a fucked up job today because he needs to practice uh, accepting things for what they are. No, nobody's thinking that. Okay. People are only thinking about themselves. <laughs> All right. All right. They're only thinking about them. Nobody. I mean, a teacher might. Do you kind of become every once in a while? Like, say you mow the lawn and you do a really good job. Do they just assign you lawn mowing duty more often because you did a good job or do they switch it up on a weekly basis? Uh, usually it's a volunteer basis. This needs to be done. That needs to be done. Huh. We have any volunteers for that. Um, okay. it, it usually works that way. Some so, people are kind of expected to be inside. Some people are expected to be outside. Oh, kind of oh, okay. Contracts. Okay. Okay. So that brings up a whole thing. So some are like indoor laborers and some are outdoor. Is there any animosity? Like fucking Pete is such a pussy. He always wants to work inside the house. Like I've never seen him out here sweating in the sun. Pete's a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is, you know, some people want to, the, the coveted role is the kitchen. Oh, I want to be in the kitchen. Okay. I mean, you're not going to break a sweat in the kitchen. I'm not saying that you're not going to do a lot of work and All maybe right. the kitchen's hot. Maybe we'll break a sweat if it's hot, but 
The kitchen, the kitchen is, is the where everybody job. wants to be. Oh, okay. oh, chop, 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 chopperoo, chopperoo. It's like, yeah, that's that's the one right. that people want usually. What's the shittiest job? I'm picturing it as mowing the lawn, but is there something shittier? What's bathrooms? What's, bathrooms. Oh, Who wants to do bathrooms. Okay. All right. Clean the toilet bowls. Does some guy or gal get assigned the bathrooms like more than they feel like they should, and they get a little bit uh, pissy about it? <laughs> no I think intended. that happens every, sometimes. Yeah. All right. I, I think those little switch ups happen. And then, you know, generally speaking, you got the bigger, uh, stronger people are more on the outside. They're more chopping the wood, outside. fucking weed, weed pulling yeah. and shit like that. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Yeah. Not scared to get sweaty. And then, and then you got some people who, who in there, they, they promote themselves to be like people's bosses. And that that happens too, where you think somebody all of a sudden becomes a boss or proclaims to be one. Oh, and everyone else is like, who fucking made Pete the boss over here? Like, he needs to get out there and, like, scrub a toilet. And, like, who fucking, who's Pete think he is? Yep. Yeah. So it's the same as, like, anything. It's it's the same as any office structure. It's all right. Yeah. the, The only thing, the request that I have with, Zen places and any religious place like that, because every place is subject to people and politics. Don't act like you're above people in politics, because because no place is. No, I've no. never met one. In everyone's so little so sphere, like they exercise the same posturing for position that uh, that we look down on politicians for. It's just to a smaller, less noticed degree. That's right. Yeah. And there's there's even maneuvering and sure. uh, conniving and there's uh, trying to get ahead and trying to do everything. And, and all that uh, boils back down to the same like subliminal levels we started this conversation with where your brain does that math already. Like we're evolved to position ourselves at a influential place within our uh, herd um, or tribe. And we just automatically tell a white lie to position ourselves better to be in that position of of favor within our tribe. And that all boils down to the same thing of that position of favor may be like, huh, I don't want to scrub toilets anymore. So how do I get into the kitchen? And you're going to figure out ways of positioning yourself for that, even if it's not happening on a conscious level. Like you're you're going to um, try to manifest that situation in, in a lot of different ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if, if your practice is working during that as well, like you'll, you'll see that because the trick is, is, I mean, what practice is, is basically seeing what you do in life and, and being honest about it. You have to like see the, you have to honestly see what you do. And one of the sayings that is common in Zen and it's, it's a, a just a truth, a common truth in, in the world. It's not just in Zen, but it's the most difficult thing is to not deceive yourself. Mm. So it's like, how, how do you lie to yourself? You know, that's, that's one of the big things. Am I lying to myself right yeah. now? Yeah. And, and, and really question that because you know, a lot of, you know, we don't think that we do that, but you know, we, we do. We all and do it's not just lying to ourselves. Yeah. And making an effort to be aware of that is is an important step toward self-improvement and and, and uh, just being a more aware person. But it's never something you can accomplish or eliminate. It's always going to happen. 
it's ingrained yeah, in us. It's it's right. Cause, yeah, because it's not just lying to yourself. It's also being ignoring a what would it be called? Ignoring a, a subvert ambition you may have yeah or or acting like it's not there right a, a subvert ambition oh i got you and it's like, like oh no oh. i i don't want to be a teacher uh, a zen teacher you know but you really do want to be a zen teacher sure or something along those lines you know what i mean and that that's a common one that comes from a place of wanting to uh appear disinterested like like early presidential candidates who couldn't say they want to be the president they had to appear disinterested <laughs> but really they yeah. were kind of pulling all kinds of strings and behind closed doors like okay i really want to be president so you guys need to get out there and do all this but i need to appear as if i don't want to be president so i have to look disinterested so uh help me become president without making me look like i want to be president yeah we're talking about the biggest psychopaths in the world oh yeah yeah totally but on that note we should wrap i've actually got to get a little bit of work done or at least make it look like i got a little bit of work done so i can go into the uh weekend with a clear mind and uh yeah man feel like i've deceived people into thinking i've been effective today (laughs) That's that's my goal. Well, right. don't lie. No, don't I won't lie. lie. I, I'm just going to try to create the perception uh, <laughs> of that uh, in a very honest way. <laughs> All right. I'm proud of you, Mike. I could talk proud to you forever, you. Derek. I love you, brother. Yeah, I love you too, man. All right, dude. Well, you, you have, have a an great weekend. weekend. And uh, say hi to the fam. And we'll talk to you soon, brother. Same to you, brother. All right. Take care, bro. bro. Bye. See you, man. <laughs> Thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate you joining us. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app. And for more episodes and info, check out DerekandMike.com. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.